Adventure Effect Live with the McLean brothers and of course the handsome Tom Lancaster. We're here live from Vancouver and the McLean boys are joining us from Scotland. Last January they rode across the Atlantic Ocean and smashed a world record and today we're going to share their story with you and they're going to tell us about how they used the, an emphasis on joy and pleasure to overcome adversity and it's going to be a fantastic story we're so looking forward to sharing this story with the world how are you guys this morning very well very good. Very good. thanks very much for having us fantastic so which of you would like to kick off and just tell us about the the process that got you started uh, what were the series of events that led to these three Scottish lads rowing across the ocean? When you go, Lana. Do you want to? All right, okay. I will kick it off then. So I'm I'm Lachlan, and I'm the I'm the youngest of of the three. And it was I'm 22. Uh, it was actually probably about three years ago. I saw this advertisement for the Talisca Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, which is an annual rowing race across the Atlantic. Um, this year's race is actually about to kick off uh, in, in about a month's time. But I saw the ad for it a few years ago and was planning on doing it with a good friend of mine. And then kind of just told, told Jamie and Ewan about it, told, initially told Jamie about it, and then Ewan caught wind of it as well. And so then I, I would obviously much prefer to do it with my two brothers than, you know, with a, with a friend, although... Not to say anything, you know, that's nothing on him. It's just you'd prefer to do it with your own family because you just know them on a much deeper level. So taking on a big challenge, you kind of, I guess, um, yeah, to, to share an experience like that with your two brothers. I think we, we all agreed that that was something very valuable. Um, and then I think the reason that it appealed to all of us, none of us had done any kind of rowing events uh, we have ne never done any rowing in our lives. We hadn't really done any endurance sports. I'd done a bit of, um, I'd done a couple of big cycling trips across Europe, but all very, very relaxed. So it was, it was very much so a step into the unknown. Um, and then Jamie, I don't know if you want to take over there. Can I jump in quickly before, before Jamie? What was it about this that appealed to you, Lachlan? Because from, I would, I would venture the vast majority of, of humankind, the concept of getting in a little boat and subscribing to two months of the Atlantic Ocean is the most horrifying thought that, <laughs> whereas for you, obviously it grabbed your attention and caught hold of you in a big way. So what, what was it that excited you about it? I think it was probably um, it was probably one the scale of the challenge, but also just how far out of my comfort zone it would be placing myself. Um, I think it was just yeah, as, as I said, kind of unlike anything I'd ever done before, and I kind of knew I, I suspected that it was gonna it would be a, a huge adventure, and I think that just that appeals to me um, just on kind of like a basic level of, I guess, personal fulfillment, you know, um, taking on um, as many challenges as you can and just, and kind of, I guess, a hunger for different experiences. Um, I think that was the main, the main appeal of it. Yeah. And That's I think good the, that, I'm sure there was some, that, I'm sure there's some like, yeah. less healthy things as well. That were like, um, I, I definitely have a thing where if someone uh, says, oh, I don't know, I don't think you can do that or doesn't believe that you're uh, able to do something, that's a real motivator for me. Uh, and it's one of those challenges that you, you hear about and you're like, is that even possible? That, that sounds just ridiculous. You can't row across an ocean. Um, and then you, the more you learn about it. Um, and there was plenty of people that were, that were kind of doubted that, you know, that you're you'd be able to do this kind of thing. I doubted you'd be able to do this kind of thing. Uh, and that was a bit of a motivator as well, um, I think. And then I think underlying all of that for the three of us was, I think like 
everyone in their day-to-day lives searches for like a meaning of purpose and not only for your own personal fulfillment and your own personal purpose of what you're doing in this world but as a cohort with friends or family and then as a greater sort of trying to make a wider difference to people all over all the world or it, it kind of impact other people's lives in a positive way and I think I think the the, the row from the very beginning gave the three of us a whole new meaning of purpose for what we were working towards um and then it just grew it just snowballed from there and it grew arms and legs that we had no idea that it would kind of develop into that but it was just taking that first initial step and then what what we sort of i don't know we're getting from it um yeah i certainly certainly a huge amount huge amount of purpose and drive in your day-to-day and then that then fed into kind of how we could then make a positive impact to other people as well so I mean, so we 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 soon learned about the the ability of the of the of the road to raise a huge amount of money and, and make a significant difference to, to to charity, and so we we then that incorporated that into the whole campaign, and that that was sort of a a side um, campaign of its own, the whole charitable fundraising element that ran throughout, and is kind of still ongoing. So. You guys clearly, like from the outside looking in, you guys, the three of you are incredibly powerful manifestors of reality, right? You came across this this race. You'd never done any rowing before. You decided you were going to do it. Within 12 months, you'd raised 150,000 pounds. You trained to, you know, while training, while doing all of this stuff, this impossible task. And then you got in the boat having never done it before, decided you were just going to have fun and killed the record by six days, right? The, the previous record was 41 days. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, and you yeah. did it in 36. So it's a considerable yeah. slicing of time. Day five. <laughs> yeah. Um, how was the experience of creating it for you? Like from the moment that you decided that you wanted to take part, from the inside, what was the experience like of raising the money, of, of training, of getting all of the logistics sorted and then doing the actual race? Yeah, so I think we were really keen from, from the very beginning to do every single element, um, every single part of it as well as we possibly could. So, so that started the very, very beginning was um, just coming up with a name and designing a logo. And it took us weeks. It took us weeks and weeks and weeks. And we were, I mean, there was probably about, honestly, I think about 150 different logo iterations um, just because we really wanted to present ourselves as, you know, as professional as we possibly could. Um, and we wanted people to kind of take, take what we were doing seriously. Um, but then that went through to, to kind of training. Uh, you know, we were complete, complete amateurs. We didn't know anything about rowing. Uh, didn't come from a military background, um, you know, ha- hadn't done uh, much endurance sport. Um, so, so we were complete. We, we absolutely accepted that we knew just nothing. Um, so as a result, we'd speak to just as many people as we possibly could. Um, and I think uh, th- through that, perhaps got kind of a broader, um, uh, I guess, broader set of experiences and connections with network than we would have done otherwise. Um just because we were desperate to, you know, learn as much about, you know, what were the important things in our training we needed to think about, you know, making sure that we, we were flexible in the right places and we were, you know, weren't going to uh, give ourselves an injury really quickly. And then that feeds into diet, you know, how were we going to eat throughout that year and, and really learning from, from the basics and just saying, look, we don't know anything. Yeah. Let's, let's just learn as much as we can. Um, yeah. I think kind of on that vein, there's something there's almost something quite nice about coming from that angle of we know nothing because it just, I think that maybe some people, um, we, we were kind of conscious that we, we were kind of total, I don't know, amateurs and in many ways kind of underdogs in the whole thing because it was just so out of our comfort zone, I guess. Um, but kind of as a result, we knew that in order to, persuade other people of our credibility we had to just do every step as well as we could and 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 be open to the fact that we knew nothing so we just we need to just find out as much information as we, as we can 
and then take the advice that we we deem to be the best. Um, but it's quite a nice. It's kind of like I don't know. It's it's quite not quite a nice perspective to come from because you're not. There's no ego in that. You know, you're coming from just um, where. <laughs> A, a, a bunch of well three three chumps just trying to figure out how to do it um not pretending to know more than you know that than we did know or yeah that beginner uh, mindset is so crucial for success in anything when we come yeah. in mean, thinking that we know everything even if we're very experienced being able to approach a new problem from a position of i don't know anything and what can I learn is so crucial. Yeah, it was a, it was a, a really thrilling experience actually to get start from from absolutely nothing to to build up you know quite a lot of knowledge in in an area. Um, and you know, so so many people that kind of oh, I don't know. I guess we're we're all fairly young, but people that kind of start with a new challenge and completely say, "Look, I don't know anything, but I'm 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 okay being being an amateur, and I'm okay making these mistakes at the beginning." And, so if you look at like, I mean, an extreme example is like Elon Musk. Like he, he just goes into new areas and goes, I don't know anything about this, but I'm going to learn. It's, I'm going to learn everything um, that I can about this thing. Um, it was an amazing experience to condense a thing down into a year and then just like learn, 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 learn. Um, but even within that that year, it was like it was broken down into other little bits that, that in themselves were incredibly fulfilling. So like, once we had the first art, uh, we spent did the logo and then made a sponsorship deck that felt like the first sort of hurdle the first tick tick the box then we had these really nicely printed sponsorship decks we went went around all all the potential sponsors didn't hear back for a while and then when that first email comes in that yeah okay well we'll, we'll get on board with 5k or 10k it's kind of just like it's like a, a a huge celebration and then it's just a series of that and then the whole thing begins to build its own momentum and then you've got the charitable fundraising as well and you've got the events and then little by little kind of people who doubted you at the start then begin to take you a bit more serious and then that in itself is so it's just an yeah an incredibly fulfilling process um even like even if you took away the row itself if it was just a sort of a race to see who could get to the start line that in itself would be almost yeah. more rewarding and um, more beneficial to the three of us than the actual row itself. Um, yeah, but, I think but I'm not, that's not to say it's not to say that the it was all smooth sailing. It was also an incredibly stressful year, like it was <laughs> so intense. But yeah. that's kind of what we'd signed up to. I think the most the most humbling bit of the whole thing, or the most uh, amazing bit for me, was um, building this network of people that started the first people you speak to you're like i'm gonna row across an ocean people are like what you're absolutely mental and then slowly some people you get someone on board who's like yeah okay cool i'm gonna gonna help out and then you before you know it i mean by the end of the year there were there were hundreds of people that that were helping us in various ways coming to our fundraisers training us teaching us helping with their services to do whatever it was and and you know without that there's just absolutely no way we'd be able to have got to that start line so it, like although we were um uh, kind of on the oars that there were so many people behind that 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 made that a reality and i think that, that creation of that network and and a, a large number of people believing in this idea believing in this thing that we're trying to create that was the most amazing thing for me i think hmm. that is that is definitely a phenomenal experience when when you decide that you're going to do something and then the energy starts to come behind it and other people start to enroll it's yeah. uh it's a pretty good feeling um why not take us through what was a day what's a day in a life of an ocean rower look like so what which part when we when you're at sea or uh <laughs> the bit before the whole the year of stress well, and why don't we start in the year before in the year leading up and then we can get into life at sea so who wants to start it's probably different for me jamie and Achlan. i think i was working uh during during the during the year as well uh jamie and Achlan were uh, we were studying you and we studying <laughs> students honestly glory. <laughs> yeah so i mean so 
a, a standard day in, in the in the months leading up to the race to the start line you probably you'd, you'd get up I would have uni so I mean it depended on on what sort of deadlines I had on at the time but I'd try and get that done within a the window we'd, we'd we had an idea of what we were eating so we were mainly having we were mainly eating vegetarian stuff especially in the in the months immediately prior to the race um so you have a big bowl of porridge and then um and then i'd get all my uni workout during the day and then either during the day at lunchtime or um late afternoon fit in the main session of the day that we normally had like at least one session every day um yeah maybe 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 not maybe five or six times a week and that would last for about two hours and it would be mainly in the gym mixture of mobility flexibility work and then depending on what kind of period we were in in our program it'd be sort of strength and conditioning a wee bit of erg work but not too much um and that obviously like varied so like to begin with it was more emphasis on flexibility mobility and then it moved more into strength and conditioning then it moved into sort of injury prevention immediately prior to the race mm. and so then by, uh, you mean row machine yeah sorry yeah 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 row machine that's interesting to me so your your training for a rowing race involved a little bit of actual rowing but not very much no it, in the, in the no, gym. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you burn burn the ergs get rid of them all they're uh, they're useless <laughs> no they, to be honest um, training on an erg doesn't really prepare you. Although the motion and basic technique is kind of similar, it, it, it's, uh, it doesn't prepare you very well for, for rowing ocean, I wouldn't say. Uh, I think you'd get better for, um, yeah, you, you'd do better by just doing long sessions, getting used to, you know, physically exerting yourself for, for long periods of time. Uh, and, and to be honest, the mental side is, is by far the biggest part of the whole challenge. So, so we every now and again we'd throw in like um, at four in the morning or whatever we'd wake up um, and just start our day. We can do like a two-hour gym session and then just continue that day as normal. So you can start to get used to like sleep deprivation and forcing yourself out of bed at you know horrible times in the morning just to just to get just to get used to being uncomfortable, really. Mm. Um, and then we had, I mean, we we would there would be periods of time when we'd try and maximize time on the water as soon as we got our boat. So that wouldn't necessarily fall into a usual usual day, but there'd maybe be block periods of, of a week or, or a long weekend where we'd go off on the West Coast and just try and get as many hours in on the oars on, on our actual boat that we were going to do the crossing in. Just to, I mean, that's, that's the, the most important experience that you can have, the most important training that you can have in the actual boat with the actual equipment, with the three of us kind of trying to go through different drills and things like that and just getting used to what it's like to live in that space so that that was one of the unknowns one that, that we could remove from that from the start point from the start of the race um so that we were a little bit more comfortable setting off how did you um, guys work together on the boat because obviously you, your brothers you you know you spent your entire entire lives together like was it like a seamless teamwork experience or was there any was there any conflict any kind of grating differences of opinion that kind of thing or, or was it just easy yeah but by and large i'd say pretty good i think just being siblings you can be very honest with each other um i think some yeah some relationships you maybe couldn't be direct um so if there was something that was kind of getting to one of us then you know you just kind of see it as it is and that works quite well but no, I think I think by and large that was probably our biggest biggest strength from a I don't know like a morale level. I think one of the biggest strengths was that we were brothers and we kind of did, but we got on pretty well um, throughout the crossing. So there were little niggling points because just just if you know if you're thirty days into three or four hours of sleep per day you're just you're kind of at the end you're very easily to set off and you'll I don't know you'll snap at silly little things but not nothing nothing major I think we found that there was like um whenever we would have some sort of like uh brief spat or argument it was always because of a communication breakdown 
I mean, without ex- exception, I think it was always because, you know, one of us mm. hadn't communicated that they were doing something or trying to get to some place in the boat so they could do whatever it was. It was always a communication breakdown. And I think mm. because we're brothers, naturally, you can actually communicate a lot without ever having, without ever saying, without ever having to say anything. So I think that was a real benefit for us that, you know, that, that a lot of those, you know, I guess times when there could have been a, an argument, you know, we, we were kind of, we were able to communicate uh, in different ways, I guess, maybe more than yeah. other teams perhaps. Um, and it's kind of, I think it was picking up the slack for the others because similar to, you know, your best mates, I'm sure if, if you two went on a, you know, on a, on a big trip, you'd, you know each other so well that you'd be able to pick up if the other is struggling a bit. So it was kind of that dynamic on the boat as well. If one of us was, having a rough day you kind of just know that that's going to be you tomorrow or two days time so you, the other two would do a bit more rowing or you know prepare them their meal or um just try and make it more more bearable i guess um yeah so let's talk about the race itself um take us to the start line uh what's going on in your heads um, what are you what are you braced for um, what's the conversation like what's the mood in the boat like like give a build us a, up a picture of, of the beginning of the race and then and then how that progressed through the race so probably probably worth starting like a week before a week before yeah. we flew out <laughs> a week before we flew out yeah, that's probably even better yeah, I was going to say the preparation at the start line but yeah on you go so a week before we flew out we we, I don't, I can't even justify. I, in hindsight, I have no idea why we crammed. We, 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 we had these fundraising events, which were the main means of fundraising for our charities and big black tie event in Edinburgh. And we had a big Cayley and, and auction and all, all that lot. And there were actually, we organized one for about 200 people. And then someone independently who wanted to support the, the charities as well, organized another one that was, for about 100 people 150 and then you and you organized or some of your mates organized another smaller one down in bristol which was more of a music night because obviously music's been a huge part of um the three of us growing up and playing music together and um and we still we, we still do so and so ewan ewan's probably the most musical he's got loads of musical mates down in bristol and so they wanted to put on like a music night to, to help fundraise as well so we had these sort of three events in the week prior to flying to the start line and we thought we'd be, you know, it'd be fine, you know, although it's kind of, kind of close, we'll get everything will be sorted. The boat's already shipped because the boat has to be shipped in October, two months prior to the race start. So it has time to get to the start line. So we were, when we, when we put these down on the calendar, we thought the boat will be shipped, all the equipment will be sorted, the boat will be ready to go. That's all fine. We have anything to sort. We'll have all our sponsors hopefully by then because the boat's branded up. Um, none of those were the case. Well, the boat had shipped, but we still had to brand up the, we were still looking for sponsors. We were still about 10 or 20 K short of what we needed. Um, and then we had all these events to organize. So it was very foolish, but it was, everyone seemed to enjoy themselves at all the events. And, and I think in total, we must've raised about 20, 25 grand for the two charities just at those events. Um, so then we set off to the start line and you, you fly to the start line in Lagomera um, you have to be there 10 days prior to the race start um, for safety briefings by the race organizers for final little bits and bobs, adjustments to your boat, um, for what else, for all your inspection of kits and food to make sure you have all the rations and all, all the right equipment and all the safety equipment and all these things. And yeah, as, as I was saying earlier, like we just, we had far, far too much to do in those two, 10 days. We completely underestimated what needed to be done to get us ready to start the race and to, to tick the box from a race, the race organizer's safety point of view. So we, we kind of, whilst other teams were sort of, their boats were all branded, they were sort of taking it chilled, just going to the safety briefings and then enjoying being at the start line, um, getting ready for the race sort of mentally and physically. We were just running around like headless chickens, get, you know, drilling holes in the boat, branding it up, putting on the decals, polishing, sanding, um it was yeah 
incredibly stressful. So when it came to the point of us, we finally got clearance, we were in the water, then there was technical issues, our auto helm wasn't, wasn't working, we couldn't get it, it was, wasn't calibrated right. All these things were sort of mounting up. So when it came to the point that, that the, the race day and the gun, the starter gun went off, it was just a huge amount of relief. Um, we hadn't even, we, did, we were so, we were so busy and had so much to do to make sure we felt we were going to be ready that we hadn't, well, certainly I personally hadn't really spent that much time thinking about what we were just about to start, what we were about to embark on. It hadn't even, I, like, remember, I, had, I remember leaving, um, leaving Lagomera as we rode away and we were caught by this big wind and taken off the island. And I was desperately trying to download songs off my Spotify onto my phone because we just didn't have time. And it was the last thing on the list. And we would, as the island was like disappearing and the 3G signal was just disappearing. Uh, but it was such a, such a relief to finally get on the, on the water. That was, yeah, the stress and the sleep deprivation, actually. Before the race, we were, we were definitely sleep deprived before even, before even you know, putting our oars in the water. So in a, in a way, this feels like, on the on the one hand, and the way you tell it is a story of, you know, we had so much more to do than we planned. We were underprepared. We were running around like headless chickens, all of that side of things. But then the other side of the story is you were completely present to what you were doing. And Jamie, you mentioned that you, when you got when the gun went off, was the first time you actually thought about the race, whereas all of the other teams who were in inverted commas more prepared probably spent 10 days sitting and worrying about everything that could go wrong. Perhaps, perhaps. I knew there was something. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to be honest as well, you, you, you kind of, you define the tasks that you feel that you need to do before you leave. And I, and, you know, we, we were very, very particular about, getting quite a lot of things um, done, which was maybe beyond what other teams, you know, deem necessary. So things like changing out all the bearings and the seats or like, or like greasing the, the, or locks or, you know, whatever it was, there was, there was a whole list of things um, that we felt was really important for us to, to do. Uh, granted, there was a whole list of things that we needed to do purely because we hadn't, uh, we hadn't been organized, but, um, well, we just we just ran out of time essentially before uh, having to ship the boat. Um, but I think yeah, I think we were we were probably hyper uh, critical over um, a lot of the tasks that we we set ourselves before before leaving. Um, yeah, I help. think that um, it was we, we actually um, we had a call with one of our trainers, Chloe Lantier, who's an endurance athlete and works in she well she lives in Chamonix but we went out and spent a few days with her but she's an amazing endurance athlete kind of multi-sport endurance athlete done the marathon de sable five times and um done a load of expeditions into the into the arctic and so she's very experienced so we had we had a call with her the day before we left and we were sort of sheepishly we revealed to her that we were pretty sleep deprived and very stressed out and she, she just said, even though she is the most organized person in the world, she said that, um, like, that's the same with me for any any endurance event I do. And I actually try and get into that state before an event because she was saying that if you're too relaxed going into it, you're, you're not, if you're already kind of, um, yeah, a little bit stressed, then it's, you're, you're, you're not kind of plunging into a very, well, I guess quite a stressful situation being on a very small boat in an ocean. You're already adapted to that and you're kind of, I, I guess... Um, less of yeah, a shock. It's less, less of a shock to the system, I, I suppose. Um, and just going back to, I, I guess, the, the point about, like, we hadn't really thought... I, I think prior to going out to the start line, I definitely had thought about it and there definitely... I was 90% very excited, 10% just total fear because obviously you don't know entirely how your mind is going to react to being in a, in a in, well, in the middle of an ocean in, in a big sea or whatever and there are a number of things that that's the one area of training you can't really prepare for you can't be in a 20 20 foot swell 
you know, with occasional 35, 40 foot waves, it's, it's very difficult to prepare for that. So there was, a, I think, a small element of fear. But I think, as you guys said, like actually at the start line in the in the week leading up to it, because we had so much going on, we were probably very present and it just didn't really have the time to worry about it. Um, so. so then we set off. So the, 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 the boats are all staggered um, by five minutes and it, the quads or the five five person crews went first and then the, the fourth and then we were three and then the twos and ones. So there was about 30, there was 36 boats in total in the race. Um, all, all, all racing overall, but also in their different sort of categories. Um, and so that about half the fleet were ahead of us, if not more, um, because of the five minute staggering. And then, so we, we just, we, we set off with some pistons firing. We were full of, full of energy, completely relieved that we were actually, we were off. So that was us. If we'd forgotten something, we'd just have to make it work, which is, which is quite a nice feeling, you know, even, even if you think, oh God, maybe we should have had that or should have got that. It's, you're like, well, we just have to, we're, we're in it now. We just have to make whatever it is work. And so we, we, we like rode off. Rode off. Is, is that. And yeah, for me, when I, you know, I spent 10 years working in the film industry as well, and you spend months preparing and like dotting all of the I's and crossing all of the T's and then, and then you're off. And then it's yeah. just you and whatever you've got with you and whatever you've got with you tends to work out. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I think it's so easy to overthink these things. I mean, obviously there's equipment and things that are essential and especially in, in moments of emergency um, for like saving your life. But like a lot of the stuff that you can, you overthink on land or in preparation, you can't, you just, it's amazing how you, you adapt and figure them out. And you in particular being from his engineering background, he, 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 had done quite a lot of little tweaks to the boat so we kind of knew that okay if this thing goes wrong right we kind of we know how to fix that or but in, in, in honesty Lalo and I would just be like you and how do you fix this and stuff like that but yeah we kind of um yeah and then we just rode off into the sunset and yeah naively thought wow this is gonna this is gonna be fantastic and then night descended and the waves got with it was a really quick start to the race so the waves big swell just off the just off the coast of the Canary Islands, and strong winds blowing us in the right direction. So it was kind of like a um, like a f turbo flume just throwing you off the islands into the into the into the Atlantic. Um, and we didn't really, in truth. So we we had a weather router, a friend of ours who had helped us in a lot of our training, and a family friend of ours who we've been sailing with for a long time. He. Um, we, it was actually, again, at the start line, we were speaking to the other teams. And um, we, we, we soon cottoned on to the fact that most teams seem to have a weather router and we didn't have one. And we thought we should probably get a weather router because we, we don't know where we're going. Um, I mean, you, you've got a vague idea, but there's obviously, there's kind of tactics to what sort of um, weather patterns you should avoid. And if you should try and go more in a, in a straight line towards the Caribbean or do you duck south and go try and hit the trades and then they'll they'll aid you on and up towards the Caribbean so um, it, the tactics of a weather router definitely do play a huge part in predicting and in, in, in adapting to what's happening in that moment but also predicting what weather systems are about to come and he he, he came out to the start line to help us um, with the final preparations on the boat and so we asked them then and there, but he was actually flying home. So there's a small window where we didn't have our weather router. So we, we had a rough idea of where our course was headed for. But we saw that there were sort of boats to the north of us and boats to the south of us. And we weren't sure which pack to sort of follow. So we, in, in honesty, we just kind of went for in between the two. It seemed like the best option and it, and it paid off. Um, but night did descend and it was pretty scary. I think that's the first sort of 12 to 24 hours of the race was definitely the, the time where I was most scared and, and genuinely just feared from, from our life and like whether we'd bitten off way too much than we could do. And, and I remember Lachlan was on the oars and it was, you and I were meant to, we hadn't, we'd had, we didn't, we had a vague idea of what our shift pattern would be, but we knew it would take a while to break into it. And so we were playing about, so Lala was on the oars, you and I were meant to be resting. It was night time. You and I were feeling pretty seasick. So as soon as you stepped and went called into the cabins, you just felt sick straight away. So we'd been sick over the side and we were just kind of laying in the bilges on the boat in the dark, getting sprayed and thrown about the place. 
and just looking at each other, not really saying much, but just thinking, what have, what have we gotten ourselves into? Because we, we had full, we knew that was going to be it. It could have been that for the next 40 to 60 days. And if that was the reality, it was going to be a really, really tough experience. So what, the last time we spoke as we were getting ready for this podcast, um, you and Lachlan had, had spoken about, you just, you, you were having a, a bit of a hard time of it. And then you guys had a conversation and you made a decision um, to enjoy the process. Can you share that conversation, kind of the events around it, what led up to it and the impact of that conversation on the rest of the race? I think I'm trying to remember when when exactly the conversation so we had like it was kind of an agreement that um, that the the most important thing for us was to was to enjoy the process and and um, our relationship as brothers was way more important than than the race um, but but yeah we had spent you know so much time and so much effort um to 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 go out and experience this this adventure um and for us to then go out and then not enjoy it that that really we really didn't want that to happen um so we'd made an agreement that um we would we would as we had done for the whole process uh leading up to that point we were going to work as hard as we could and do you know put in longer hours than other teams and and you know, work as hard as we can at, at doing well in the race. But that definitely came second to us enjoying it, and came second to you know our our relationship as as brothers. Um, so I think I think with that you've got to you've got to kind of shift your perspective a little bit. If you're um, constantly, we had a great briefing actually before the race. By the, there's a a well a well being officer. Um, who th they were kind of talking through the importance of looking for positivity. Um, you know, it's very easy to get stuck out at sea and then all you see is negative and you're searching for negatives and you, that's all you get back because that's all you're searching for. Um, and, and it's so true. It's so true. If you, if, you, uh, if you wake up and you're like, oh, I feel really hungover today, then like you continue to feel hungover and it just, you know, you, you wallow in pity for the rest of the day. It's the, same, it's the same thing with anything in life. And I think if you search for, search for that positivity, um, you know, it has a real big impact on your, on your day to day. If you, if that's what you're kind of looking for. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think we kind of made that conscious decision of enjoying the experience prior to kind of when we were in the Canary Islands. And yeah, I think, I think it was throughout the process, we kind of had that approach, but we did have a sit down conversation in La Gomera, like, this is, these are our key objectives, not falling out, enjoying the experience, going as fast as we can. And it was very clear in our heads that that's what we were doing before, which I think was a really good thing because just when you're, again, when you're kind of really, really knackered, um, I think it's very, it's, well, if you don't have your objectives very, like extremely clear in your head, and you start trying to figure out what those objectives are when you're in that sleep deprived state, you're just never going to make good decisions. So we, we tried to make it as clear as we could. And kind of on that vein, I think like um, actually being at sea and, and rowing, the, the, the routine at sea is very straightforward, actually. Um, and all your decisions are kind of made for you when you're going to, when you're going to rest, when you're going to eat, when you're going to get up and do your rowing shift. And so like really the only decision you have is to just enjoy the experience because everything else is kind of taken care of and you, you know what's going on. So I think like you could just, you could just, and I think some people sadly do um, sit there and just be miserable the whole time, or you can kind of just keep reminding yourself that like, wow, this is, this experience is such a privilege. Like, we're very lucky to have this and let's just try and enjoy it. So, um, yeah, I think that was, that was a big, a big factor. Definitely. What impact I think those energy levels? Yeah. Energy phenomenal. Levels. Yeah. Sorry. Only your love. 
Right. Um, yeah, no, de- definitely, like, huge, definitely. Like, the mornings when, you know, I don't know, you were on the... It was quite. It was often quite noticeable kind of on the last night shift because the nights were always quite tough because each of us had would have, like, a couple hours rowing on our own. Um, and it's dark and, you know, if it's, if the weather is not totally favorable, then it's, it it could, it could be quite bleak. Um, but then I remember always on the kind of morning shift. Um, so if you were on the fourth or sixth shift, the sun, you'd be, it'd be dark and, you know, you'd be just, it's like rowing through treacle. Um, and then the sun would come up and then the next, you know, the, the next row would, next brother, usually it was actually, um, who was on the morning shift? So it'd be Jamie on the morning shift, and then I'd get up to take over, and then we'd make coffee, and it was like the the difference in kind of actually the act of rowing was just felt a lot easier because you're enjoying yourself, and the sun's up, and you've you've had your coffee, and it, it is amazing, like energy wise, how how much kind of just your mindset definitely definitely makes a big big difference, yeah. Was it something that you guys had to like continually check in with? Like, hey, remember, remember, we've got these three objectives. We're going to enjoy it. We're not going to fall out, and we're going to go as fast as we can. Or, like, did you have to keep coming back to that? Like, when things got tough, when you miscommunicated, when you dropped the ball, when things went wrong, or was it just kind of always there with you through the experience? I think, I think it was mainly always there, but there definitely were a few a few moments um, when, when we had to sort of sit back and we had a conversation between the three of us. Um, never more apparent was it in, in, within the first 24 hours. Um, by the second day, the sort of priority of what those objectives were, just because we, we ended up, we, we, we'd chosen a good course and we just, we kind of shot off in front and we were actually leading the whole race uh, within the first sort of 20, 24 to 48 hours, which was a huge surprise to us and a huge surprise to everyone else. And even within those, that, that period, we sort of had to, had to sort of acknowledge to one another that, okay, what, what are we going to do here? This is, this is, this is great, but does, does this mean we're now racing? And is that now our number one priority? Or are we still going to hold true to what we set out and said that we were going to try and achieve with this row? And so yeah we made we made an agreement there that we knew having spoken to people who had done the row in the in the past that it took about seven to ten days to get into your routine and once you crack your routine at sea everything kind of falls into place and you begin to enjoy the experience a lot a lot more and so we set the goal of seven to ten days what let's let's okay let's let's race why not um because it's going to be hellish regardless so we might not enjoy it regardless. So why not give it our all and then reevaluate, reassess where we are at that point. And hey, if we're, if we're still doing quite well and we've managed to enjoy it up to that point, then surely we're going to enjoy it from then on out. And, and it kind of, that, that's kind of how it went. So after a week, we, we kind of had another discussion amongst ourselves and we were, we were pushing ourselves really hard. We were still holding ourselves at a third overall. Um, but more importantly, we were, we were, we'd got into our routine and we were starting to actually really enjoy this sort of bizarre new life out at sea. Um, it'd become our new normality. I love the way that just through the whole experience from the beginning to the end, you just have, whether you knew it or not, you just set yourselves up for an enjoyable, successful, fun experience, just through your, through your attitude, through your priorities, through the, the, the things that you were looking out for um, through the whole process. It's really a, a beautiful example of how to, um, well, the, the, other, the other side, as you mentioned, is that you can just sit there and be miserable and have a terrible experience. Mm. And, you know, just a, a switch in mindset is all that's required for an experience to be amazing or for it to be terrible. I think that's basically what I'm getting at. And you guys really, you set yourselves up so perfectly through the whole experience for it to be a success in every, in every metric. And it definitely, it gets you through those days where like you really, or you've only got the option to like laugh or cry. There are days where you, 
you you're miserable you're so tired you it's it's pouring it down you're getting hit by schools and it's kind of those moments where you're all in foul weather gear just like shivering on deck trying to push through the next sort of two hours or next stint where you kind of just have to have a giggle to yourself and be like this is just like stupid this is ridiculous like look at us in like 1500 miles from any land it's pissing it down it's blowing a hoolie it's like it's horrible we've eaten nettle curry for the past week or whatever it is but like you've just got to it's it, you, I don't know for us it was just yeah kind of laugh at it and and then that would then make that moment enjoyable not only at that time but also now you look back on it and I think all of us look back on the whole experience with extremely rose-tinted glass but the 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 um you, you look back and you try and pick out the points where it was really miserable and really horrible but then in those moments you were then trying to make it as enjoyable as possible so it's quite difficult to pick out the really really difficult the hard parts so let's go forward to the the end of the race you you arrive in in the caribbean uh you've smashed this world record you've done something that no team of brothers have ever done before um you know there's all of the kind of the on paper achievements which are incredible but I'm more interested in talking about who have you become as a result of doing this? How, how are your individual lives changed and the lives of those people who are close to you? Like, what is, what's different for you having done the race to, to before doing it? I think having perspective over um, what, what actually gives you drive in, in life and, and a feeling of purpose um, and I think that's something we really experienced and, 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 you know, particularly during the kind of months or so before the race, um, really having that purpose and having that common goal um, that, that was shared, you know, the, the three of us um, and making, making that, uh, making that, that dream kind of come true. I think that experiencing that has definitely made me, want to pursue more things like that trying to trying to experience the same purpose the same drive um and i think uh one thing that we've definitely all i mean agreed on is that we definitely want to go forwards and do you know more things as brothers just i don't think we quite appreciated how well we would work as a team um and and that's something that i think we've we've taken away from it but there's there's so many things i think the the lessons from from doing an endurance event like this you know appreciating hardship in a way appreciating kind of a treat to delayed rewards and there's, there's so many things um uh think, kind of things that we can take forward appreciation as a whole as you was touching on there is like definitely something that you that you become very aware of whilst you're out at sea and then it's definitely fed into like kept on going throughout um my life to this day like you just like like silly little things like sometimes I'll be sitting on the toilet and I'll be like this is a really nice toilet and then because <laughs> it, it, it makes you reflect on the experience of having to use a bucket for 35 days and like that experience then makes the little mundane things or the things that you just take for granted in life like sometimes I, I, I sort of ch check with myself and I'll be doing the washing up and I've got hot water and soap and I'll be like, whoa, water and soap, that's amazing. It's just little things like that. I, I think it, it's such a nice thing to have that just sort of continually remind you of, yes, okay, you, you experience this hardship, but it gives you a new perspective that is very easy to ignore and, and, and lose track of in your day-to-day -day life. And then that obviously, yes, okay, this, it's the, to do with, actions and using things and, and an appreciation for for how, how, how lucky we all are but also the relationships and the people around us and that you have a new um appreciation for that and, and gratitude towards others i think i love that so the, the way that we talk about that is um is we use the term comfort management mm -hmm. we live in a world of risk management where there are entire departments dedicated to the elimination of risk and making life more comfortable and safer and so to bend it into the terms that you just described there, Jamie and, and you, and when we take away the risk, when we take away all the discomfort, then suddenly 
all this amazing stuff we have, like the fact that we just turn a, a knob and hot water comes out, right? It's yeah. amazing, but we, we take it for granted. Um, and yeah, I love that term, you and that you said appreciating hardship. Mm. It's, it's something that's, it's almost quite uh, relevant to, uh, to the, you know, the pandemic that we're in, you know, now. Um, you live in a very, you, suddenly you have these restrictions, whether that's, you know, for us on the boats and, you know, we're unable to do very basic things. We can't, we can't, you know, socialize. You, you can't just pick up a friend and go, I don't know, go down, go down for a pint or whatever. Like you can't even go for a walk. You can't do anything. Um, you're very, very restricted and limited. Um, and I think that gives you perspective of, Things, you know, when, when you're not in that limited situation, it gives you an appreciation, a new appreciation for those things. And I think it's the same with, with the pandemic, you know, to fly out, to, to visit friends or um, socialize, you know, in the same ways that we used to be able to. Um, and, and so many other things as a result. But hopefully, hopefully kind of coming out of the pandemic, we'll, we'll have a, a different perspective of, you know, the things that are important to us. Um, Do you think it's made? I think we, we definitely have that. So do you think it's made your experience of dealing with the pandemic easier than other people who haven't, say, lived a restricted life? I think um, looking for positives is one thing that I've, I think, um, tried to do on a database. And sometimes it's hard for sure. But I think um, realising that... Um, I mean, we've spoken to so many people that have done the row um, that, you know, technically had essentially the same experience, but just for them, it was the most horrific thing. Well, they did it with and they, you know, it was a it was a, a different, very different experience, even though the actual day to day, the essence of the thing was the same. Um, so I think appreciating the importance of, of really having a positive outlook and how much of an impact that can have. Um, on, on your life and your entire experience of things. Um, I think that's probably slightly different. Obviously, you know, we have nothing to compare it to. So, we, yeah, this is the first pandemic we've been through. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> yeah. Jamie, how about you? What's, um, what were your big kind of life takeaways? Uh, sorry, Lachlan. Lachlan, oh, yeah. Um, so, I was having to think about this. I think that... Um, I think it's probably similar similar to any situation in which you kind of just take on a a big challenge that you're not entirely sure whether you are going to be able to do it, and then being able to do it, it definitely proves something to yourself, and maybe just opens the bounds of what you think is maybe possible and what what is achievable. Um, so I think that's probably my for me is the biggest takeaway that few things are probably it's, it sounds a bit cheesy but you know if you break it down into bite-sized chunks um few things are kind of impossible um but i guess you just have to really think about your motives for doing them and make sure that you're sure about the reasons for doing something but um yeah i think that's something i'll take away from it and just with approach to kind of looking at because obviously i'm I'm yet to start, I'm still studying, so I'm still, I'm kind of yet to start my working life, but I think that will, that will influence my projections in, uh, in life, kind of what, what I want to achieve and, and also, and just kind of doing something which gave me a feeling of such purpose and be it the charitable element or just kind of the, the experience itself was just awesome and it made, made me feel I guess fulfilled so a hunger for more fulfillment um and doing something that fills me gives me a feeling of purpose I think that's the probably the main couple of things yeah. amazing that ties into something that I wanted to kind of we're coming to the end and I, I wanted to uh see if you guys had um something to say to someone who has an impossible goal right obviously not everyone's impossible goal is to row across the Atlantic, but we all have things that we would like to do, that we would love to do, but there's no way that we can do them, right? It's impossible for me to do this thing. Someone else can do that, but not me. What would you say, having been through this experience and having 
taken on the Atlantic and taken it on in, in admirable style? Like, what would you say to someone who's on the edge? Um, I think I would probably say it's a bit cheesy, but I think um, like dream big, don't necessarily uh, limit your, your aspirations and, 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 you know, the things that um, you want to try and do based on what people think that you can do. Um, and then also just be like, be comfortable being a beginner, just be a, just be shit at something. It's fine. It, and don't, don't kid yourself that, that, you know, you are, you know, more than you actually know. You're way better yeah. just saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a beginner at this and I'm going to yeah. learn and I want to learn. That's and it. just that people, people react really well to that when you're open to being a beginner. Um, people don't react well to someone who's, trying to let on that they they know what they're doing and they're I don't know the expert in something they're obviously not I would say my my one thing would probably be we were we were kind of um we were quite decisive in what the objective was so we were decisive that rowing raising this much money and rowing across the Atlantic was the thing we were going to do and all the kind of little hurdles along the way that was just part of our route to doing that. So if we had, you know, we didn't get a sponsor or something went wrong or that wasn't like, oh, that's got wrong, so now we can't do it. That was just kind of a, a, a stopping point along the way, but we were kind of clear that it, it was still going to happen. We just had to figure out another way of doing it. Um, I think that would be my main kind of takeaway or a bit of advice, I guess. Can you summarize that in in a kind of, in a nugget, in a sentence? Um, don't let small barriers along the way get in the way of the kind of end vision. And yeah, be, be I guess, be determined with the, the end goal and hurdles along the way might, might seem like they're stopping you from doing it, but there'll be another way to do it. Jamie, how about you? I would say, um, certainly from our experience, don't try and do it on your own. I don't think there's anything to be gained from that, both from um, the riches of the resulting experience, but also just like if we hadn't had the three of us and then from that our, our families, our friends, and then the, the support network that then grew after that, it, it not only made it possible, but it also made it a much richer experience and a much more fulfilling process and so I think not only does it make it more achievable and easier to achieve but I think it makes it a, overall just a much more valuable experience yeah and I don't think that necessarily needs to be like saying that if you want to do something as a solo um, you shouldn't still pursue that like doing things you know on your own and not necessarily sharing the adventure part with with someone it, it's it's that recognition that actually in creating that that solo experience it require or it, you you benefit so much more from having a a real network around you um so even doing something solo isn't really doing something solo i'd say or or i don't know i think you can gain more from lost you there you and but it's such an important thing for um for an entrepreneur as well is that we feel sometimes as entrepreneurs that we have to do every aspect of our business alone. We have to do this entire adventure. We have to climb this mountain. We have to row across this ocean of starting a business by ourselves. And we have to know everything. Um, and what you guys have just illustrated there so beautifully is that you don't have to know everything. People respond really well to you saying, look, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. Can you help? and the importance of having that support network, that team around you, even if what you're doing is ostensibly a solo operation. And enjoy it. <laughs> and enjoy it. And enjoy it. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. So um, what do you guys need help with next? Like for people who are, who are listening, who are watching, what are you up to next? How can people get in touch with you? Why should they get in touch? What do you think? We've got we've got so many things on the uh, I don't know on the boil. I guess the main thing for us is we, we really wanted to go forwards and do something together. 
Uh, I guess we're still trying to figure out exactly what that route will be, uh, whether that's, you know, within business or whether that's doing a challenge. Um, uh, so, yeah, we're kind of, we're up for, up for anything. I'm, I, I don't know if Lachlan and Jamie kind of took you through some of the, our kind of aspirations for other challenges and um, plans for the future before. Um, I don't know whether you guys. We, we talked a little bit about various things, but um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of give you guys an opportunity to, if there's anything that people watching or listening can support you in, now's your chance. Yeah. So I think just there definitely will be more challenges to come, definitely. So um, social media kind of at Broad Atlantic, I think it will probably maybe, maybe change when we move on to the next thing. But right now that's, that's the, the platform on Instagram and Facebook. So at Broad Atlantic. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have more silly ideas to come, no doubt. Fantastic. So we'll put your, we'll put your, your social media handle in the, in the notes um, at Broad Atlantic. Um, and yeah, I guess all that's left is to say thank you so much for joining us. This has been a fantastic chat. Congratulations. Uh, I, I'm sure it's not the first time you've heard it, but congratulations on achieving something truly incredible um an inspiration to us and i'm sure an inspiration to everyone listening so i'm watching so thanks very thanks much so much guys thanks so much cheers we, we want to take you up on a on a, a a coaching session at some point if that's if that's all right we would love to do that yeah absolutely we'll just stay on we'll just stay on once we wrap it up and we can have a little chat oh great Brilliant. amazing yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Thank Cheers. You. It's been a pleasure.